morning. Um, as uh, Dalen, before we jump into the series, I was just, uh, as Dalen was mentioning uh, during our worship time, uh, we've had a, a couple of hard weeks here at SunWest where we've, uh, we've uh, had to say goodbye to a couple of our family members uh, here in our church family. Uh, and I couldn't help but have that playing in my mind as we were worshiping and we're singing songs like, you know, all your promises are yes and amen. And, you know, Christ is our firm foundation. He never lets me down. And, um, you know, we've had a couple situations where it sure feels like we get let down uh, when you're praying for healing and praying for a different outcome than things happen. Uh, and you feel like God has let you down. Uh, and uh, it's definitely been one of my things that I've wrestled with over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, singing those songs, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about these things as you're singing those lyrics, right? And so my, my, my mind went to a passage in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 as we were singing this morning, um, and I just felt uh, the Lord put this on my heart to share with us uh, before we jump in. Um, and uh, it's really great when I can find it. Uh, ooh, where did it go? Oh, there we go. Um, and Paul, Paul says this, the Apostle Paul, he says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you who are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And then Paul says this, and this is a line that I came to my mind. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied, most to be pitied. Um, because our hope is beyond this life. It's beyond circumstances. It's beyond disappointment. And he goes on to say, but Christ, but, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Uh, and that is our hope. Uh, and so I'll just remind it again about that this morning, uh, that in the midst of uh, disappointment and you know, you wish you had different outcomes or things were going differently. Our hope is actually beyond this life. And if it wasn't, we would be most, the people most to be pitied uh, because uh, our hope would be meaningless. Uh, but, but Paul says, but our hope is not meaningless because Christ was resurrected. And so that gives us hope uh, beyond what we're walking through. Um, and so I pray that that's an encouragement uh, to you, uh, no matter what season you might be walking in this morning. Uh, and as we as a church have walked through, uh, you know, harder uh, weeks here. Um, and with that, we move to Christmas, which is the source of our hope, which is, you know, why is Christmas such a big deal in the church calendar? Well, because this is the moment, uh, the first uh, of many moments that changed everything uh, for humanity, uh, for followers of Jesus, because God came to us in person, in flesh, uh, and it is the beginning, you know, when we talk about Easter story, the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, it doesn't just start on the Easter weekend, uh, this is the beginning of the Easter story where God shows up on the scene, uh, where people had longings for what God was going to do, uh, how he was going to respond to the injustices, to the suffering, to, to brokenness. Uh, what was God going to do? And this is uh, God showing up on, on the scene. Uh, and so uh, I pray that as we orient our hearts towards the Christmas story, this Advent season, all of those longings, these waitings in our heart will be reminded again that our hope uh, is not in this world, but it's in God coming to us. That is our hope, uh, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, and so uh, as we've jumped into the series, I've had this one verse in John chapter 2 that's been, 
Uh, it's bothered me. Well, not bothered me. It's just, it's been in my head for, for years where I just like often think back to it. It's a, it's a very strange verse. Um, and this is what it says. It says, now, while he was still in Jerusalem, this is Jesus as an adult uh, at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. And I haven't been able to shake this verse in my head because uh, in, in the original language, in the Greek language this was written in, uh, the word believed and the word entrust are the exact same word, actually, even though we uh, translate them differently because of the context. But they're, they're saying the same thing, that there, there were people that were putting their trust in Jesus, but he wasn't yet putting his trust into them. You know, we, we talk often about putting our faith in God, putting our trust in God, but we don't talk often about Jesus putting his trust into us. And it seems clear, actually, when you look at scriptures, that there were certain people that Jesus trusted and certain people that he didn't. Certain people that he entrusted himself to. He entrusted uh, intimacy, time with him. Uh, He entrusted, uh, you know, secrets and, you know, knowledge and understanding. Uh, There were some people that he was entrusting more to and others that he was not yet entrusting himself to which should cause us to ask the question of what sort of person does Jesus trust? You know, that'd be the first question. The second question would, am I the kind of person that Jesus trusts, that he entrusts himself to? You know, because we can believe in Jesus, but yet he may not yet be entrusting himself fully to us. Uh, and what is the characteristics of the type of person that Jesus entrusts himself to? And I think in the Christmas story, we see very clearly the types and the characteristics of of people that Jesus entrusts himself to and those that he withholds himself from. Uh, And so that's what we've been looking at uh, as we started the series and what we'll continue to look at over the next couple of weeks. And last week we looked at the group of shepherds that Jesus entrusted himself to the shepherds. Uh, Why? Because God entrusts himself to the simple. And as Pastor Dave said last week, not because they're simple-minded, not because they're stupid, but because they're humble. God entrusts himself to the humble, to the simple. Consistently, throughout Scripture, God entrusts himself, his secrets, his plans, his intimate relationship to those who are humble, to those who are simple. Uh, And this week, we're going to look at the the character of Joseph, uh, who we don't know much about. He kind of shows up as a little bit of a blip in the Christmas story. You know, the father of Jesus, who wasn't really the father of Jesus because Jesus had a heavenly father. And it's like, what do we even call him? Not Jesus' dad, Jesus' stepdad. Like, who is this guy? Uh, And he's in the Christmas story, and then he's not there anymore. And so we don't know what happened to Joseph after the Christmas story. Um, But uh, we know a little bit from the text that we have uh, in the Gospels, particularly in the books of Matthew and Luke. So there's four books uh, that, that we call the Gospels that give us, give us an account of Jesus' life and ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Christmas story uh, is told in narrative detail in the books of Matthew and the book of Luke. And so we, we see Joseph kind of show up in the, the beginning of, of this story. Um, and, and I think Joseph shows us that God entrusts himself to the faithful. He had the same char- characteristics of the shepherds. He was humble. Um, so not only was he humble, but he was also faithful. Uh, and this is a principle that we see again throughout Scripture, that God uh, entrusts who he is with those who are faithful. 
And so let's begin uh, by reading this account of Joseph. Uh, It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Um, So Mary is... Uh, pregnant through the Holy Spirit, uh, and she was pledged to be married to Joseph. So they weren't yet together, uh, yet Mary became pregnant, and Joseph was out of the loop. And you can imagine uh, how that went over. Uh, but we learn about Joseph right away. This, this is the phrase we have, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her. And you can imagine that he was quite angry about it, uh, and trying to figure out Uh, how he should respond to this. And being a good Jewish boy who knew the law, he knew it was fully in his right to divorce Mary, that that could be publicly known. Uh, And Mary would have been seen as, uh, because she she had been with another man, that she was off the table for future relationships. Uh, She probably wouldn't be able to get married uh, into a Jewish family again. Uh, So this is the situation. So Joseph had it in his right to divorce Mary and to make a public spectacle of it and to shame her, really. Um, And he would have been still faithful to the law. But Moses was faithful to the law, knew what the Word of God said, and yet we see he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Um, And so we can even see the wrestling of Joseph in this moment. How do I honor God and honor Mary? I love God and I love Mary and uh, I have responsibility because of what's happened probably to divorce Mary, but how do I do that in a way that's not going to actually bring shame and disgrace to her? And so right away in this one sentence, we see the heart of Joseph. We see what kind of man he is, what kind of character uh, he has. Uh, Faithful to the law, faithful to what God has said, and he's lived his life in obedience uh, to what God has revealed to him in the general revelation that God has given to his people through his word. Uh, so the story goes on. But after he had considered this, after he had contemplated uh, divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, be not afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So we learned at the beginning that Joseph was faithful to the written law, to God's general revelation that he gave to all people. Now the Lord comes to Joseph in the story, in a personal way. And he speaks to him individually. Uh, And in our Hearing God class, uh, which many of you have taken, and I encourage you, if you haven't taken it, to take it the next time it's offered, uh, we spend quite a bit of time talking about God's general revelation and God's specific revelation. Uh, And uh, the the Bible actually teaches us that there, uh, there are levels of of God speaking to us. And there's a general word of God, the Logos word of God, uh, which is what most of the time gets translated as word. It's the word for word, word of God, the Logos of God, um, that God has given to all people for all time. So God gives us his word, these principles that are for all people for all time. And this is how Joseph grew up being faithful to this general revelation, this Logos, this word of God. But we also know the Bible speaks of a specific, personal, timely word of God to us. Uh, And this also gets translated 
as word in our Bibles, but it's a different Greek word, which is the word rhema. Uh, So as an example, when Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Most of my life I grew up thinking, uh, you know, we're not supposed to live by bread alone, uh, but we're supposed to uh, live by the Bible. Know the word of God. And all of this true, but that's not what this verse is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, The word, word, for word, uh, that's here in the word, uh, is not logos, it's rhema. Jesus is saying that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that comes from the mouth of God. And even in the form the word takes, it's in a present participle, uh, which means it is an ongoing, active word. Every personal word that comes from the mouth of God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, personalized word. And and so Jesus is speaking to this, uh, this intimacy with God that is beyond just this distant relationship with God that we have through his written word, uh, but it's actually moved to a personal word. So Joseph is a guy who is faithful to the written word. He understood what God had said for all time to all people, his general revelation through his written word. But here in the Christmas story, we also see that not only was Joseph faithful to the written word, uh, but he was faithful to the rhema words that God spoke to him continuously through the story. Uh, Let's see how that um, happens. Um, and before we do that, the, the principle here that we need to understand uh, is that it says in Luke 16, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest in the greater responsibilities. And so Joseph, I think, throughout his life had shown that he was faithful to what God had said, that what God had revealed, what God had already asked of him and asked of us as humans. And he was faithful to that. Uh, And because he was faithful with the little things, God actually began to entrust himself uh, with more things to the point that God entrusted himself in the very center of the Christmas story to be faithful to be Jesus' earthly father. That's a lot of trust. And we'll see the faithfulness of how Joseph responds continuously uh, in the story. And so it goes on, Matthew 1, verse 22, at this Uh, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate uh, the marriage until she gave birth to a son. Uh, Let me read what that says in the original Greek. It says, but he did not get jiggy with it, with Mary. It didn't happen. That's what it says in the original language. Uh, So he refrained. Uh, he didn't watch Netflix and chill. He actually said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to be faithful to what God has said. Uh, you know, we're separate. Uh, and so Jesus, uh, Joseph did this, and they didn't consummate the marriage, and she gave birth to a son, and they gave him the name Jesus. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So, so he, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. 
After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up. He took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So let me give you a quick summary of what just happened in all those texts with a map so you can picture it. Um, So we know that uh, Joseph originally went from the land of Galilee to Bethlehem because there was a census that was being taken, which we'll read about in a second. Uh, And so this is a 144-kilometer journey. Mary is pregnant. 144 kilometers on foot. Uh, I know in our, in our nativity pictures, we often see Mary on a donkey. Uh, that's, you know, it's a nice addition. We don't actually know if that happened. We know that they were poor people. They probably didn't have a donkey. Uh, but you can imagine uh, Mary traveling on foot, being pregnant for 144 kilometers to take the sense. So that was the beginning of the story. And then uh, Jesus was born, and after he was born, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to go down to Egypt, which was a minimum of 65 kilometers. That's just to the border of Egypt. Um, It could have been quite a bit more than that. Uh, So at that point, they have a little baby, and you can imagine traveling 65 plus kilometers with a little baby. Anybody traveled with a little baby before? I remember the first time when my oldest son, Joel, uh, was born. He was a baby, and I thought it was this great idea to take him to visit my brother in BC because he hadn't met his uncle, Mike, yet. Uh, you know, so first-time father, I'm excited. I'm like, let's book a plane, and he was free to fly, and I'm like, this is a good deal. Uh, so I took him to uh, BC. I still don't know why my wife, Lisa, let me do this. I wouldn't entrust myself with uh, our baby now that I look back. Uh, but my older brother had indoor dogs, and we learned on that trip that Joel was quite allergic to indoor animals. And so um, I'm like texting Lisa. He's like puffing up, having trouble breathing. He's wheezing. And I'm like, uh, what do I do? Uh, anyways, that was traveling with babies. Not fun. Uh, that's my point. Uh, then God told Joseph in a dream, go back. So he went back to Bethlehem, another 65-plus kilometers, depending on where he was in Egypt. And so now at this point, they're traveling with a toddler. How many of you guys have traveled with a toddler before? That might be even worse. Just stop screaming. You know, at least maybe, you, you know, give him some Benadryl. Uh, sorry. Um, the, so traveling with a toddler. So they go back to Bethlehem, another 65-plus kilometers, And then, after being warmed in another dream, Joseph took Mary and his toddler, Jesus, back to Galilee, another 144 kilometers. And so, at minimum, there was 418 kilometers that were traveled where Mary was either pregnant, where she had a little baby, or she had a toddler. And I don't know which one of, you know, traveling with which one of those is worse. I mean, I personally found uh, when Lisa was pregnant, it was far easier for me to travel. Uh, It was... Very simple. Um, But it just gives you a little bit of a picture of when Joseph said yes to God, it wasn't, there was nothing convenient about it. You know, there was nothing convenient about it. And yet we recognize when the rhema word of the Lord showed up, and so Joseph, faithful to the written law, yes, but now the individual personalized word of God comes to Joseph and God says to do this. How does Joseph respond 
every single time. And we see four times. Four times in the Christmas story, Joseph responds in exactly the same way. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And then what did Joseph do? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yes. 144 kilometers, pregnant wife, baby. Lord, my answer is yes. Next time, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And what does it say? Read those words together. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Right away, yes, Lord. Inconvenient, for sure. Wouldn't it be easier for me to just hide here, find a little nook, find a little cave? No, go to Egypt. Next time, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Read those words with me. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Fourth time, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So over and over and over again in the Christmas story, we see that Joseph was faithful to what God had revealed, what God had said through his word. And then, I believe because he was faithful to what had been revealed, God actually entrusted him with more and put him in the center of the Christmas story. And when the Lord showed up and said, do this, Joseph's response was yes. When God showed up, Joseph got up. When God showed up, Joseph got up over and over and over again. And we see that Joseph was the type of person that God entrusted deeply because I believe he was faithful which should maybe uh, cause us to ask the question when, uh, or reflect on the fact that we often want God to show up. But when he does, do we get up? Do we have that yes, Lord response? You know, if I was Joseph, I can totally see myself with all these excuses of, you know, 144 kilometers or 65 plus kilometers. I've never been to Egypt. I don't speak that language. You know, I'm going to be starting at the bottom. You know, you have all these excuses that you would assume would just come into your mind, but Joseph's default was, yes. Lord, if that's what you're asking me to do, yes. And so when I reflect on my life, why don't I get up when God shows up? What are the reasons that prevent me from being faithful uh, the way that Joseph was faithful? Uh, I think even in the Christmas story, we see the tension of the theme that often keeps you and I away from being the type of people that get up. And we see it in Luke. Luke adds an element of the story that Matthew doesn't have. And so in that first journey when the census was taken and Joseph had to take Mary back to uh, Bethlehem, he was going back to his hometown. He was going back to where he grew up, where he had his relatives, where his parents, his aunts and uncles, cousins would have been. So they all went back to their hometown to take a census. And uh, it's just a brief little line in Matthew's story, but in Luke's story, uh, he gives us a little bit more to work with. Uh, And so in Luke, he says this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Mary pregnant, Joseph going back to the hometown, Um, and 
Lights out. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So let's go back to the context again. Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant, probably initially thinks it's the mailman, that Mary cheated on her, on him, and is trying to figure out what to do. Uh, the Lord appears and says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as, as your wife. Don't be afraid. What would, be, what he, what would he be afraid of? He, he's probably going to be afraid of what would people think, right? I mean, everybody's going to think that Mary cheated on me uh, or that we were together before we got married, and he has all these probably thoughts and scenarios going on in his mind, and then he goes to his hometown, He has to go back to his parents, back to his brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles with a pregnant wife, and they know that he's not married yet. And God says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. So he goes home. Uh, And we we see the scene where he goes back to Bethlehem, back to his parents' house, uh, and then we we have this line that says, she wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And we often miss this when we retell the story. I I know when I grew up in church and we had the the Christmas dramas, there was always the the drama scene uh, where... You know, Jesus and Mary are traveling, and they go back to Bethlehem, and they go to a holiday inn, and, it's, and some of the translations say there was no room for them in the inn, right? And so we're, encount- we're, we're encountered in those dramas and that story and that scenario in our minds uh, with this, uh, you know, greedy, hostile hotel manager who has no sympathy for a pregnant woman. But the word that's translated in the, the, the New International Version that I'm using here on the screen actually gets it right. It says there's no guest room available for them. And so the scenario we have is not Joseph and Mary going home to the Holiday Inn in Bethlehem and saying, uh, no vacancy, there's, you know, where do we stay? That's not the scenario that we have. What, the scenario we have, Mary and Joseph going back to their father's house, back to the family home, and there wasn't a guest room available for them. Now, in that time, uh, the family house was a, was a pretty big deal because when people would grow up and get married, uh, what they would do typically is they would actually build onto the house and people, uh, you and your wife and your family would actually uh, get a, a room that would attach to your father's house. And so, Homes expanded as families lived together, and nobody, uh, typically, uh, very few people moved away from home. Um, and so that was then. This is now. And you might be thinking, hey, I got a 30-year-old in my house. That sounds a lot like now. Uh, so it's becoming more normal. Uh, but at that time, people really valued community and family, and we live in a much more individualistic world, and we don't understand quite the context. This is a family house. There's multiple rooms in the house because they've been built, the house has been built on. Uh, and so Joseph probably has brothers or sisters or cousins or whoever living at this house with his parents. This is the family house. And so they show up at the house, and the text just simply says there was no guest room available for them. 
Uh, now we miss it, but the people at that time wouldn't have missed this. Uh, what is it actually saying? It's saying that Joseph and Mary went home, uh, and there wasn't a cousin, there wasn't a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle or a parent that actually made a room available for them. Joseph said yes to God, but what it meant was he was going to be misunderstood by others. And in fact, uh, the animals at that time, usually families had a number of different farm animals, would stay in the house and there'd be a place in the center of the house uh, you know, that would be where the animals would feed and they said, uh, you can stay there. You know, with the cattle, with the chickens, with the feeding trough. You know, the manger sounds really nice, uh, you know, when they say the manger in the story. They wrapped them in clothes and placed them in a manger. It sounds really sweet and nice, but it's an it's a animal feeding trough. Uh, that's where Jesus was. So the family said, uh, you can stay there. Joseph said yes to God. And it meant that he was going to be misunderstood by others and his family. And I think this is, for me, one of the primary reasons why we don't say yes to God so quickly in the way that Joseph did. At least it is for me. Because I, I think one of the greatest enemies to being God-pleasing is, being, uh, is trying to be people-pleasing. And I could take you through my own journal, my own personal journal, and you could see the challenge over and over again in my own journal that uh, even being obedient to God's general revelation, his word, uh, sometimes the tension I feel is, well, if I do that, what is it going to mean in my relationships? Uh, And then particularly when it comes to the rhema words, these personal words that I feel like God is telling me to do, is like, what if I'm misunderstood? God, if I say yes to you about this, what are are people going to think? What are people going to say? What are people going to assume? And I found in my life the greatest enemy to me being a God pleaser is that I am by default a people pleaser. Now as we kind of bring this all together here at the end, I want to remind you in Romans it says that uh, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. So what I'm inviting you to consider here is not something that I, I don't wrestle with on my own. Uh, but it is always, God always invites us to greater uh, levels of intimacy and fullness in him because of what he's asking us to do. He's for us. Um, and so when we, when we consider how we have maybe disobeyed God in the past, uh, God doesn't look at us with a finger like this. He kind of looks at us, at us and I think he thinks, you're missing out. I mean, if Joseph would have said no to God, he would have missed out on, on being in the center of one of the most, of the most important story in all of human history. You know, because Joseph chose not to be afraid of people and instead chose to be obedient to God, he got to be in the center of what God was doing. God entrusted himself with Joseph in the story, literally entrusted himself in the form of a baby with Joseph. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the type of person that God entrusts himself with. I want to be the type of person that God wants to bless, that God wants to give more to so I can be faithful with more. I want to be the type of person that the Lord says at the end of my life, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little, and so I gave you more. 
And so, again, in Romans it said, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And I don't want you to miss out on what God's plans are for your life. I know that I don't want to miss out on that. Um, And so as we kind of close, I want to do something a little bit maybe different. I want to invite us to reflect, prayerfully reflect, uh, in a posture of listening prayer and just invite the Holy Spirit to, uh, to probe into our hearts just for a few moments. I know some of you guys have, have iPhones or other phones um, or maybe ways of taking notes. I would invite you just to pull out a notes app on your phone. I'll give you a second to do that. Go ahead and do that. If you're at home, do it. If you're here, do it. And so the questions that I'm inviting us to reflect on are questions that apply either to God's general revelation. Maybe you know that there's something that he's, a way that he's asked you to live in his general word that you've actually uh, not been living or a way that he's asked you to live or things that he's asked you to do that you haven't been doing. But it also applies to uh, rhema words, to personalized words. Maybe there's something specifically that you know that God has been asking you to do for a while and you didn't just get up and do it like Joseph did. You've been delaying. You've been wrestling with it. You've been thinking about it. That person he asked you to forgive, that phone call he was asking you to make, that gift he was asking you to give, the generosity he was calling you towards, the act of service that he wanted you to do for somebody on his behalf. And so let's reflect on a couple of questions here. Uh, what has God asked you to start doing that you haven't yet started? Is there something that you know that God has asked you to start doing that you haven't yet started? Is there a practice or a habit that he's wanted you to start? Is there a giving, serving, forgiving, loving, blessing somebody, taking your time, taking more time for your spouse or your kids, handling your business or finance a different way? I don't know what it is for you, but is there something that God has asked you to start doing that you have been slow to get up and to do? My guess is, if there is, that you don't have to think very long. You'll probably know pretty quickly. Yeah, I remember this. Just encourage you to write that, write that thing down. And as we're continuing to pray and reflect, um, in the same way, what has God asked you to stop doing that you haven't yet stopped? Is there behaviors or habits that you know have been destructive to you or someone else? Is there a way that you're treating someone that needs to change? And the third question... Is people-pleasing stopping you from being more faithful? Is there someone's opinion that you care about more than God's opinion? I know in my life this has been the reason why I've been slow to say yes to God. What has God asked you to start that you've been slow to start? What has he asked you to stop, that you've been slow to stop? Maybe is there a person that you're more interested in pleasing than God? And has that caused you to say 
no to God or to hesitate on saying yes to him. I believe that God wants to entrust himself to each one of us. He wants you to be the type of person that he trusts. He wants to be, have a more intimate relationship with you. He wants to speak to you in new ways and different ways than maybe you've heard him speak to you in the past. He wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. I know that I don't want to live my life being the type of person that Jesus doesn't trust, and I don't want to miss out on that, and I, I don't think you do either. Um, and so the question is, when God shows up, will we get up? When God shows up, when he asks us, when he calls us, do we respond like Joseph and say, yes? And it's that yes that allowed Joseph to be in the center of God's story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't give us more than we can handle. Uh, But we recognize the shadow side of that, that often... um, we want these specific ways of revelation, these, these really exciting and cool, and we want directional um, perspective from you, and yet we haven't even been faithful to the little things that you've asked for us, um, that you've asked of all of us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a faithful people, that we'd be faithful to the things that you've told us in the past, that you've told all people. Lord, I pray that we would also be the type of people that when you show up, when you whisper something to us, when we have that nudge in our hearts, when your Holy Spirit is calling us to respond and to act in a certain way, Lord, that you would prevent us from the trap of people-pleasing, but we would be known as God-pleasers, people that are quick to say yes, people that are quick to get up, that we don't let the journey or the implications of what you've asked of us stop us from saying yes. So may we be like Joseph. May we get up and say yes to you. And Lord, may we be the type of people that you entrust yourself to. Uh, That is our heart's desire in Jesus' name. Amen. just want to invite you to close your eyes just for a minute. Just get everyone to close their eyes and just ask you this question. Uh, When we reflected on, is there something I should start doing that I haven't been doing, stop doing that I have been doing? Um, How many of you, with their eyes closed, uh, felt like something came to your mind as we reflected on that? Just invite you to put up your hand. Thank you. I'm going to, I'd love to pray for you. Um, my hand is up I could put my hand up every time I feel like I'm slow to be like Joseph slow to say yes quickly Um, and I would encourage you uh, to take courage and say yes to Jesus and what he's asking you to do and maybe you might might be saying yes for the first time maybe you've never said yes to God of yes God I want to do life with you that's where it begins Um, this might be the morning that you say yes for the first time Maybe if you're like me, there's all these little yeses along the way that you're just slow to say yes to. And this is a reminder uh, to be the type of person that God entrusts himself to um, and not miss out on the story that he wants to write with your life. Uh, 
and uh, after I pray, if you would like further prayer for uh, anything, uh, we would love to pray for you. We have prayer teams available um, at the front afterwards. Uh, so, Father, we thank you that you are quick to speak when we listen. Uh, Lord, when we slow ourselves down, uh, just like Joseph, Lord, you show up and you whisper to us, you speak to us, you call us. Uh, and Lord, uh, I repent, and we repent for the times where we say no, or the times where we just say maybe, and days go by, and weeks go by, and months go by, and we still don't give you our yes. Lord, may we be yes people. Uh, give us the strength and the courage to say yes, even when we'll be misunderstood by others, even when at risk being vulnerable and being hurt by others. Uh, Lord, may we be like you and love people, even when it means that comes at a cost to ourselves. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Uh, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, thank you for coming. Again, prayer teams are available. Uh, have a great week and being the type of people that God entrusts himself to.